Okay. Where, where was I? All right, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It means, first of all, that we believe in him as our Savior and as our Lord. That that's the most important thing in our life, is knowing who Jesus Christ is. Secondly, it's not just about what we believe, but he actually has given us a destiny where he wants to change us to make us become like him. And then he gives us a mission so that we will befriend others in the way that he has befriended us. And then as we looked at last week and we'll conclude this week, he also has given us a purpose to reveal his beauty through a life of worship and through a life of work that has a purpose beyond the job that we do. Well, today we're going to look just a little bit more about what the scripture has to say about our work and how it really can be satisfying, it can be meaningful, and it can be a life of worship. We began looking at this last week, and, and we're going we're gonna to conclude this week, but we need to understand that when I'm talking about this, worship is not just singing on Sunday. So oftentimes, that's what we get in our minds. Worship is about our whole life. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He says, worship is humanity's full reason for existence. Worship is why we are born, and it is why we are born again. And, and it's incredibly significant because worship is something that is within us. All of us worship. We may or may not worship God for who he is. We may worship ourselves. We may worship others. We may worship a different God. But we are all designed to worship. It makes up a very core of who we are. And when we understand who we are to worship, and that becomes the driving force of our life, it gives meaning to absolutely everything that we do, including our work. Now, last week we looked at Exodus chapter 35, and we, we discovered a man by the name of Bezalel, who was a skilled craftsman, who discovered that the reason God had made him so gifted and given him knowledge and understanding and skill and abilities and creativity and filled him with the Holy Spirit was so that he could make the articles of the temple. The Ark of the Covenant, the lampstands, the table of showbread, all these things that we see in the Old Testament in the temple, they were beautifully made by his hand. And he discovered that the secret of turning his work into worship was in his name, which means under or in the shadow of God. He did everything in his life under the shadow of God for his purpose so that God was the one who was seen and put on display. That's how we beautify our lives. And it doesn't matter what kind of work we do. You may be a teacher. You may be a cook. You may work in childcare. You may be um, in business, in finance, in accounting, in sales, in ministry. It does not matter what the type of work is. All of it can be done to reveal and show the beauty of God. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but for some of you, the jobs, the works, the skills, the creativities that you have will have a far, longing, far longer lasting impact than mine will. I don't know if you know this or not, but when Jesus comes back, I'm unemployed. I don't know if you thought about that. The only reason why we have pastors and doctors is because of sin, just, just in case you didn't know that. Doctors 
great profession, but when Jesus comes back, there's no more sickness. They're unemployed. Same way with pastors. We're out of work because God himself will teach all of us. And that's a good thing, which means I get a whole new career, which is why I try to learn to play music, but it really hasn't worked so well. God may have something else in mind for me. I don't know. But our creativity, our work matters to God, whatever it is that we do. Well, let's just quickly kind of catch up where we were last week and move into some new territory here in Ecclesiastes. I want to challenge us all to view our work as worship. That's what we're told to do in Colossians 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything that you do, your relationships, your time with your family, the chores that you have to do at home, the work that you do in the workplace, all of it can be done for the Lord and in the Lord's name. And, and when we do that, in order for that to become a reality, we need to do it dependent upon him, the filling of his Holy Spirit. We need to do it with integrity that reflects his character in everything that we do. We need to do it with creativity. There's a few points out of Tim Keller's great book, Every Good Endeavor, that applies to our work. And let me just use this as a good summary of ways that we can turn our work into worship. The way we serve God at work is to further social justice in the world. In other words, God has a heart for the afflicted. Therefore, our attitudes, our work, should reflect that in what we do. The way we serve God at work is to be personally honest, to have integrity, and to share the good news with our colleagues, with the people that we work with. Share the reason that we have a hope within us. The way we serve God at work is to be skillful, to do excellent work. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, should be the best employees in our workplace. Because of our integrity, our commitment to doing things well, it should reflect not who we are, but who God is. The way that we serve God at work is to create beauty in all that we do. The way we serve God at work is to work from a, a motivation that seeks to glorify God and to have a connection and influence within our culture, within our workplace, within our neighborhoods. The way we serve God is to do whatever we do with great joy and with great passion because we're doing it for the Lord. So those are some good summaries about how to make worship um, out of our work. But one of the keys in order for that to really happen is the second point, and that is to work for God first. Listen to this, this word from Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So in essence, we need to ask this. Who am I trying to please? Who am I trying to talk to? Wow. Alex, thank you for week after week after week where it goes so smoothly. You, 
Yeah, it's not your fault. It's electronics. There's all kinds of problems with electronics. So here's, here's the thing. I want you to remember this truth. Who you work for, not the position that you have, will determine how much satisfaction you have in your work. Who you work for, not the job that you have, will determine how much satisfaction you have in your work. And you want to start by asking yourself, who in my work am I trying to please? If I'm trying to please myself, if I'm trying to make myself look good, we will never, ever be satisfied. If I'm trying to please others, I will never meet their expectations. But if I'm seeking to please the Lord, he already loves me. He already accepts me. He already gave his life for me to prove his love and his commitment to us. And he promises that when we work for him, when we work to show his greatness and his beauty, he will abundantly reward us. And when I say that, I'm not necessarily talking about financially. Sometimes he will bless us financially, but more importantly, he will give us joy in the work that we do. It will have meaning and purpose. I discovered a long time ago in my career in television especially that when I made God my boss, it didn't matter whether or not my supervisor had character, was understanding, was necessarily gifted. It didn't really make a difference because I was working for the Lord. And that's true for all of us. It sets us free when we understand that we're working for God first. And then we recognize that God, in his wisdom, has placed that person in that position, at least for that season, and we want to honor them for the position God has given them. It takes the pressure off. It makes it easier to go through the workday because we're doing it to please God. I've had some great bosses and some horrible ones when it came to human relationships, but I've found great joy in my work whenever I've made God the one I work for. Thirdly, God gives some promises when we work for his pleasure. Let's, let's look at this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes, or in your heart language, it may be called the preacher or the book of wisdom or some other title that, that fits within the translation from your language. But it is a very complex book that says a lot about our work. It's a book that if we don't understand it, it will be depressing because one of the themes that repeats all the way through it is vanity of vanities or meaningless or emptiness and chasing after the wind. To understand this book, we need to see that the writer, Solomon, gives a contrast between life under the sun, which means just living for this life, for this world on this earth, and life under heaven, which is living for God. And he contrasts the two. And so whenever he's talking about life under the sun, he's saying it's empty, it's meaningless if God isn't a part of it. And that's the key to understanding this. Life under the sun, living only for the world's comforts, is mentioned 
26 times in this little book. He recognizes that things do not always get better. Leaders will disappoint you. Challenges will beat you down. Death will eventually rob you of all that you have done. And in the end, it will prove to be meaningless and chasing after the wind if God is missing. If he is not a key part of your life and of your work, it will be meaningless. On the other hand, we can live life under heaven, living in the presence and for the purpose of God himself and working for his pleasure. So Solomon says this again in Ecclesiastes 2.22. What do people get for all their toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Does that describe anybody's work week this last week? kind of, when you think back on it, you can spend your whole life working hard, building a career, trying to be successful, getting comforts, building up your resources, your retirement, making a home, amassing a fortune, and we need to remember that we don't take it with us. In fact, what he's going to go on to say is, all this work that I've done, eventually I'm going to give to someone else. And so if I'm only working for that, It's not going to satisfy. It's not going to make a difference. We can't take it with us when we go. Also, he discovered that we can't make work itself our purpose. Being successful at our job will not satisfy. When you think about it, it's one of the first questions we ask people. We so identify with what we do that usually after someone um, tells you their name, the first question you ask is, what do you do? It's an important part of our life, but it can't be our life in and of itself. So Solomon is wrestling with this. He's wrestling with these questions. And to get a better understanding, let's back up a few verses to verse 17. And we'll give you exactly what he thought about his work. Now, Solomon was the most successful king of Israel. The kingdom of Israel expanded greatly. His works were wonders. People from all over um, the known world would come and see the work that Solomon had done. The queen of Sheba came and was marveling at the work and the wisdom of Solomon. And so he did incredible things. But here's what he says about his own work. Verse 17, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, which I have poured out my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my work and labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled or worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. He speaks 
the raw truth that we often don't like to hear. And in the case of Solomon, it became very literally true because he handed his kingdom over to his son, Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was a disaster. Within the first two years of his reign, 80% of the kingdom was lost. 80% of everything that Solomon had built was gone. Because you see, Solomon, though he was wise, failed to invest in his son, in his children. He failed as a father. And I want to encourage us that this is a reminder of why we need to have balance in our life and not allow our career to so overshadow our responsibilities at home that we get it out of balance. To be successful in business and to fail as a father or as a mother is not a success that is honoring to God. In the same way, in our workplace, we want to remember that our work is a stewardship and to be looking to invest in others and to build them up. There's an incredible freedom in this, and it's, it's a lesson that um, I, I learned a hard way um, through some great trials and difficulties in, in my work life that I would have a far greater legacy if I chose to purposely invest in building up others and to see my work as a stewardship. Several years ago, I, I bought a, a mantle, and it's, a, a mantle is a piece of cloth um, that had a design on it. I got it actually in South America. It was a beautiful piece. And I kept it on my desk so that I would pray every day, Lord, I pray for the person who comes after me in this job. Would you bless them with twice the wisdom, with twice the ability, with twice the understanding as what you have given to me so that their work may show your beauty and your greatness. And that changed the way that I worked and the way that I was able to see myself and not hold on to things in a prideful way, but to see that I could invest in the lives of others. And I've had the privilege over the years, both in ministry and in, in my um, career in television, to be able to pass that mantle on to other people. And it has been so freeing. You see, it's a picture that comes out of the Old Testament in the persons of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah gave his mantle, which was the representation of his office as a prophet, to Elisha and prayed for a double portion to be placed upon him. If we take that same attitude into the workplace, you are going to have a great witness and a great legacy in your work. Build up the lives of others around us. Well, Solomon recognizes the frustration that he faces in, in his work. He's just giving it all to someone else if that's the only thing that he's working for. But look what he says in verse 24. He gives a contrast. He says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Satisfaction in the workplace, in our, in our jobs, is a gift that God gives to us. He cares about our work. Our God is a working God. 
He created everything. He sustains it. Jesus Christ has done the work of salvation. The Holy Spirit continues to work in drawing hearts and lives of men and women to himself to this day. And he continually works. And so work is valuable to God. He says, this is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, happiness, or a better word is joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. So, here's some promises God gives to us in his word. That when we turn our work into worship, he promises to give us knowledge to understand what is needed. He promises to give us wisdom to know how to work for what lasts. And he promises to make the work that we do for his pleasure enjoyable. If you'll truly ask the Lord to help you do this, it will change your attitude and your heart towards your work. And you will discover a satisfaction and a joy in your job that you chances are, never thought possible. Especially if you're in a difficult place right now, if if it's a a, a trying place, give this over to the Lord. And say, Lord, I want to learn to work for you. Now, the conditions of your workplace may not change, but you will change. And it may give you the resources and the ability to be able to see with a different perspective the events that are happening in your workplace. Or it will prepare you to the place where God is able to move you into a different position where he can fulfill the desires of your heart and what he created you to do. But it all comes down to giving ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to work for you in all that I do. Choose to work as worship and to work for God's pleasure right where he has placed you. And you'll be able to display his beauty in powerful and joy-filled ways. Let me give you just some, some action points. View your work as an offering of worship. When you get up in the morning, when you're, when you're headed on the, on the metro to, to work or you're driving into work, say, Lord, I want to worship you today through my work. All the tasks that I have in front of me, they're not just busyness and they're not just projects that I'm doing for the company. I want to do them as an offering to you. Begin to view your work as a canvas to display the beauty of God. Lord, how do you want to use me today to show others what you're like? Pursue excellence as a reflection of God's greatness. The reason to work hard is not so that you look good, It's so the greatness of God is revealed. Pursue integrity as a display of God's holiness. You see, this is is how we're able to worship, no matter what our job is. Befriend others as a display of God's love. Demonstrate a thankful attitude as a display of God's goodness. Be positive in the workplace. We live in a world where if you're, if you're constantly listening to the messages that come out in the media and on, in, um, in the social networks, it's depressing. And as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we should be positive because we should show 
a God who entered into the brokenness and did something about it by giving his son for us. Be creative as a reflection of the creator. I mentioned this to you you last week a little bit, but I believe this is an area where we and the church have lost our influence. If God has made you creative, pursue ways to do art or music or or architecture, design in a way that can display his greatness and his beauty. Do it in the workplace. Do it for his pleasure and for his joy. When you think about so many of the things, so many of the artists of old um, whose works are so well treasured and remembered, many of them did that because they wanted to display the greatness of God. When you think of composers like Bach or Handel, you remember that what motivated them was they wanted through their music to be able to show the greatness and beauty of God. Or Rembrandt or Van Gogh or Michelangelo, his works, he wanted them to display the stories of God and the greatness of God. Be creative because we have a greatly creative God. Build unity as a display of the union between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so beautiful in a church like ours where we come from so many different backgrounds and countries and um, different ideas of what worship looks like, what um, culture looks like, and we're able to come together and celebrate in in our differences one God, one purpose, one salvation, one faith, one hope. Remember that God is with you in your work. Right where you are, whatever you face, before you go into that meeting that you're dreading, remember that you're not alone. God has promised to be right there with you and he will use you in big and small ways in the workplace. Remember that you are God's ambassador to every person that you encounter. You have an opportunity, whether it's through your attitude, whether it's through encouragement, whether it's through the way you respond to a difficult circumstance, or whether it's through a direct witness to reflect Jesus Christ and to show the reason that you have a hope that's bigger than the circumstances that you face. We must remember we are his ambassadors. And so we're called to do whatever we do In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, let's let's turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let's see a little bit more of what Solomon has in mind. He gives some promises that when you work not just under the sun, but when you work for him, it makes a difference. He also gives us some encouragement in the next verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to, some of you are not going to know this song, but some of you will. And, and so we're going to hear this passage in song first, a great hit from the birds in 1962. 98% of you were not alive at that time. I, however, was. Can we, can we play it?
It's not very often that you get a secular song that actually just uses the scripture as its lyrics. But that one, other than the chorus, turn, 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 that's what it does. It's this passage. And how many of you, <laughs> this is going to be embarrassing, how many of you have ever heard that song before? Oh, thank you. I thought I was, I was only one years old when it came out, okay? So I'm not that old, but you, you never know. So here's Solomon's trying to say in, that, in these words is that everything has a season. And, and in essence, what this does is each of these represents parts of our experience. When he's saying a time to be born and a time to die, he's talking about the totality of life. Everything that you experience within that uh, confine, within those parentheses of birth to death, God has a purpose in. And in each one of these, he talks about the full range of human emotion, a time to weep and a time to laugh. He's saying that there's seasons for all those things, and it's important for us, first of all, to remember that it is a season. The difficulties and the trials will not last forever, and the joys that we have, at least in this world, will also come and face trials and difficulties as well. But what he's saying is, God is in charge of all of it. It's under heaven. And when we trust him with those good times, with those bad times, with those difficulties in our life and in our work, he can make them meaningful. He can give beauty to them. And ultimately, he goes on, and the the verse that I want you to to pay attention to most is over in verses 9 through 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. What gain has the worker from his toil? This is after he's talking about all those varieties of the seasons of life. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, he says, right now, as we're living it, it's a mystery. We can't see how it all works out. But he has placed eternity in our hearts, and he is making all things beautiful. Here's the thing we can encourage. Whether you're in a good place or a hard place right now, God can use that and make it beautiful. He can take your life circumstances, your trials, your difficulties, and make them into something that displays his greatness and his beauty. I believe that part of the celebration that we will have in heaven was that we will see the mystery revealed and will understand how the trials and difficulties and suffering that is part of this life ultimately pointed to something beautiful. Because our God is good. Here under the sun, it may not make sense, but under heaven, it will. And so we learn to trust him in every aspect of our life, and that's how we can have our whole life be worship. I was reminded of this um, this past week. Uh, I saw somebody had, a, had posted on, on Facebook uh, a social feed from one of the... Um, I think this one was Romania's Got Talent, I think is what it was. And, you know, it's one of those shows where they have the X's and you get voted off or, or whatever. And, and it was all in Romanian, so I had absolutely no idea what they said. But the little clip was of a young woman 
who was remarkable. She was remarkable because of the beauty that flowed out of her in spite of what we would consider very difficult circumstances. She was born with a, a birth defect. She had no arms. And she had a form of dwarfism that had um, reduced her stature to where she was pretty short. And this young woman sat on a platform on the floor and with her feet played a keyboard and sang to it. And it was incredibly, incredibly beautiful. She had taken what we would consider an incredibly hard part of life, what we would consider a defect, and made it something beautiful. Now, that spoke very personally to me because growing up, one of my best friends had no arms and no legs. His name was David Hoffman. And he inspired me in ways that affect me to this day because of how he responded to his circumstances, how he chose to honor God and to show the beauty of who God was through his life spoke incredibly powerfully. The same is true for every one of us. We were created to display the beauty of God. And the circumstances that we are in are simply the canvas upon which we can show who he is when we choose to live a life that is worship for him and work for his pleasure. He can make everything beautiful in his time. One of the other, the, the last phrase I want to end with here, and, and I apologize, I, I, I didn't do a very good job of trying to bring this together today, but he says he has set eternity in our hearts. Deep within inside every person is an understanding that there is more to life than what we see here. Even many who would, who would be agnostic or perhaps even atheist still deep within their heart and mind wonder, is there not more? In part because we are made in the image of God, we are both physical and spiritual. And God has set eternity in our hearts so that even in those who have rejected him, the voice of eternity speaks. For us who believe in Jesus Christ, the way to turn all of our life into worship is to remember to work for that which lasts, that which is eternal. To live for what is eternal. To seek in our family relationships, to build up our children, our spouse, our brothers, our sisters, in light of eternity, in light of what lasts forever. You and I were created to display the beauty of God, and when we do that, it lasts forever because he is eternal God, the one that we worship. You may be here today and you're facing 
create trials at work, maybe relationship trials, maybe there's emptiness within you. And, and when you hear the words of, of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, when you, when you hear the words emptiness, you're saying, that's right where I am. The hope that we would offer you today is that God can take your emptiness and fill it with him himself. He can fill it with eternity. You see, when we try to fill that emptiness with success, with comfort, with relationships, with anything under the sun that excludes him, it will never satisfy because it's an eternity-sized hole. And only that which is eternal can fill it, who is God himself. So his invitation to you today is come to me. I want to give you life. I want to give you purpose. I want to give you meaning. I want to take who I created you to be and make it whole, make you whole. But to experience that, you need to respond to him. He is calling us today. We're going to sing a song in just just a moment that's an invitation for us to come to the Lord. And after that song over on this side, there will be some prayer intercessors. If you have a need in your life, if there's a struggle you're going through at work, if, if there's questions that you have, if there's just an emptiness inside, we want, to, we want to pray with you. And we want to walk alongside of you and encourage you. And so we want to invite you to come over here and, and there'll be people there who can just listen and pray with you and bless you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of who you are and all that you do. Lord God, help us to live for you, to see that our purpose in life is more than making a a paycheck. It's more than having comfort. Help us to live for what lasts, to work for what lasts. Help us, Lord, to work for your pleasure in all that we do. Lord, would you speak to hearts and lives wherever they are right now, whatever challenges and struggles they're going through, would you draw them to yourself, Lord, so that they might find hope and healing, purpose and joy. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.